We're on a mission to explore how emerging technologies, media, robotics, and data and behavioral science will solve humanity's most pressing challenges. From education, mobility, energy, food and water supplies, the environment, employment, all the way to disease and basic human rights. Nothing is off limits. This episode is brought to you by Beverage Universe. They have every flavor to help you stay young, beautiful, and thirsty. Go to BeverageUniverse.com for your next flavor experience. So I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Henry Kaminsky, a.k.a. the Brand Doctor, a.k.a. the Million Dollar Brander. Welcome, Henry. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. Absolutely. So Henry is the founder of Unique Designs. He's a brand specialist. He's a digital marketer, and he's been doing this all of this for the past 13 years. Henry has worked with clients like New Jersey's own Bon Jovi, Russell Brunson, who named him the Million Dollar Brander. And he's also the recipient of the Two Comma Club Award. Mm-hmm. Impressive. Thank you. He's also worked with ClickFunnels, and he is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Refuse to Give Up. Mm-hmm. He's also the host of a popular brand doctor podcast, so check him out there. Thank you. What a warm welcome. I love it. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about your, uh, your background. Sure. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go way, way, way back. Um, my parents got married in the 60s and they were trying to have a family. They're trying to start a family back then and they were unsuccessful. Uh, For 16 years, they tried to have a family and they just couldn't do it. And so as medicine got better, my mother finally found a doctor to go to and the doctor was like, well, you got some serious issues. Like if we don't get this resolved, you'll never have kids. So (laughs) I'll never forget this. She went in for a minor surgery uh, and the, uh, for all you Catholics out there, the, uh, the day of the Immaculate Conception, mm. yours truly was, was born, was, uh, was conceived. Nice. <laughs> so, so. It's a good start. Right? So when my, when, when, when I was growing up as a kid, my, my mother would always tell her girlfriends, uh, this is my miracle baby. This is my miracle baby. It took me 16 years to have him. And as a six-year-old kid, I thought women were pregnant for 16 years. <laughs> And I said, Thank God, God, that's God, not the case. <laughs> God bless women on this earth, right? So as I got older, I realized that that was not that that was not the case, and and that I was I was a blessing to them, and and that immediately made me feel like, wow, my parents are very determined people. Like they are not going to take no for an answer, and they're going to keep it moving until they get the result that they want. So. I, that was very instilled in me at a very young age. Now, when I turned two, something very unique happened to me. Um, my 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 mom was in the kitchen doing the dishes, and I was in my crib, and uh, she came in to check on me, and I was blue and unresponsive. Mm. And so they rushed me to the Riverview Hospital in Red Bank, New Jersey, and uh, they found out that I was hyper or hyponatremic, uh, which is you lose all the salt in your body due to poor nutrition. Mm. So they revived me, and here I am. And so I always think back, like, wow. I'm always, I'm, I'm here on borrowed time. 
You know, mm. it took him 16 years to have me, and then two years in, I almost died from hyponatremia, and now I'm now I'm like, okay, uh, there's a reason why I'm here. And so as I grew up and I, I really started to uh, digest that story and really understand it, it made me feel like, okay, while I'm still here on this planet, I need to make a difference. I need to make the world a better place, right? Mm-hmm. And so that never give up and that refuse to give up mentality came from that story right there, which has led me uh, to great success in my entrepreneurial career. So that's sort of the backstory. Now we could get into the business stuff uh, you know, as, as we continue. But uh, I literally fell into graphic design by accident. So I went to a college out in Pennsylvania, a pretty small school called Kutztown University. Shout out to anybody who ever went to Kutztown. But um, didn't know what I wanted to do. Went in for uh, – I wanted to be an accountant. Hate numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but I was really good at speaking. Like I love to get up in front of, of a class and, and, and people and just talk. I just – I love people. And that comes from my mom's side, hands down. She always had to gift the gab and she always lit up the room when, when she walked in it. And so changed my major to communications and just went all in. And so I get out of college and it's right around 9-11. Nobody's hiring. Mm-hmm. Everybody's pretty much shut down. So I have an uncle who's a pretty affluent in, in northern New Jersey, owns a big construction company and had an in with one of the local hospitals. And um, he said, let me see if I can get you in there as you know entry level and you, know, you, you work your way up and I'll stand behind you and we'll try to get you a, a, a good career there. So I started Hackensack Medical Center checking insurances in the same-day surgery center. And interesting, something um, something very interesting happened there. So when I got that job, my boss was very resentful because she mm. saw the name that was on my resume, like, you know, the, my, my folder. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, you just got this job because of your uncle. Like, you know, you didn't work for it, you know, the whole nine. So... Half of the day, she would put me in the waiting room and just make me clean the coffee pots and then bust my chops that they weren't cleaned enough. Nice. So it was, it was awesome. It was an awesome 90 days. But my 90 days was coming up of review and like they could easily boot me. And so I went to my uncle. I had this whole thing documented. Um, and, he, and I went to my boss, my boss's boss. And I said, here's what's going on. I got documented for the past 60 days. So they moved me up into a different position. Mm-hmm. It was actually a blessing because it was a little bit more money doing the same thing. But so I work my ass off and I get my master's degree in business management and l- luckily got a job in the children's hospital as the Sudden Infant Death Syndrome Center events coordinator. So it was a very rewarding job but a very sad job. So what I was responsible for is creating fundraising events for sudden infant death syndrome. So for those folks that don't know what SIDS is, it's when a baby dies suddenly and unexpectedly with no, with no cause. Right. And so I would, I would be responsible for creating these fundraising events and, and, and raising the money. And the cool thing that I was able to do was take that money and actually spend it on events for the families throughout the year. So we would do an annual um, memorial service every year at Rutgers. I would take them down to Jenkinson's Boardwalk and we'd do a whole picnic thing there. So one of the events that I hosted or, or fundraised for was this event called Rock Out for a Reason. It was, at a, uh, it was at a local nightclub. One of my buddies was a club promoter and he was a graphic designer at the same time. And I had literally cold turkeyed 
emailed Danielle Monero from Z100, and I said, I would love for you to sponsor this event. And I think she was pregnant, or she just had her her first baby, right? So she wrote me right back and was like, I would love to do this. I have some really cool ideas. I think we can help you promote it. And so she brings me and this doctor onto the into the studio and I got to meet the 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 the, the crew and it was so cool. She comes to the event and she was such a, a huge help. But we needed marketing materials to promote the event. And so my buddy Jerry literally sat me down on a Sunday morning and was like, I'm gonna design this for you just you know, you got to tell me what you want on it, though. So I was – that was the first day I knew what graphic design was. And I just got bit by this creative bug. I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. It's like playing God. Like mm-hmm. you can yeah. literally design anything that you want on the screen. Mm-hmm. And so we did the event, huge success. Went back to my boss and I said, well, I think it's a good idea that you buy me the Photoshop program because I'll, do, I'll start to learn all the design and I'll do it in-house so we don't have to pay for it. So she agreed. And so I took the laptop, the company laptop, and I I was literally designing my first invitations and stuff with my finger because I didn't even have like an external mouse. Mm. But I would take the laptop mm-hmm. home and I lived in this tiny little apartment and I didn't even have like a couch. I had like a little bar with these bar stools. And I would sit on the bar stool literally till five in the morning, wake go get an hour of sleep, get up at six, get ready, and then go to go to go to the hospital. And I did that for three years, mm-hmm. and I really built up a, a, a skill set in design. I started designing all the nightclub flyers. Back in the day, I was 23, 24 years old, so I was going out all the time. So we, I designed all the nightclub flyers, and there were some cool perks there. You got to meet some cool people like Kim Kardashian and things like that. And uh, But eventually, I, I grew up. I got married. Uh, you start, You stop going out to those places, and I was getting burnt out. I was a one-man band. Um, the interesting part with that was this. Let me back up a second. So the hospital starts to downsize a little bit. They went into, they got into some little trouble. Um, the economic downturn hit. Um, and they were sort of squeezing my position. Uh, funding from an, uh, a foundation stopped coming in. They started taking half of my day and sending me to like a, a secretarial admin position. And finally, I, I had my boss come into my work and uh, come into my office, and she said, "Henry, at you know January one, you're going to be a secretary to someone. We don't know who it is, but this position is eventually going away. So you could stay or you could leave." And mm-hmm. I was like, "Whew!" So I went to my uncle because I didn't want to disrespect him. I mean, he got me the job, so I was like, "Here's what's going on. What should I do? You know, maybe I come work for." The family. Maybe I – and he was like, Henry, you don't know anything about highway construction. Mm-hmm. And I'm be honest with you. It's tough. And he was like, it's going to put me in a position where if I got to lay you off, like I don't want to lay my nephew off. So mm-hmm. he's like, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Well, the best thing that ever happened in my life was him never getting back to me. Mm-hmm. So I said – I went to my boss and I said, you know what, Alyssa? I'm going to walk. And I'm just going to give this a shot. Now, luckily, I had some some paying clients, and I was I was picking up some momentum. I remember my accountant uh, meeting my accountant for my first year, and he was like, "Henry, you did pretty good this year." 
And I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm bad with numbers. I I, I wasn't paying attention. I was just grinding, Working, right? right? Just right. workhorse. He's like, you did $248,000 this year. Wow. And I was like, huh? <laughs> All by yourself. And I And that gave me the chops to just keep moving. And I just kept going and going and going. And uh, eventually, you know, I get married. You, you start getting bigger accounts. I, I got out of the the club night club, nightclub flyer thing. But the cool thing was, I met a lot of cool people, and I started working for the bigger liquor distributors. So they would come to me and say, "Henry, we need twenty thousand printed pieces of a Grey Goose promotion. Can you design it for us?" So now I start working with the bigger brands like. Grey Goose and Absolute, Cords Light, and Guinness, and so the, that was real. Corona was another big one. So I started doing all of the promotion design for those types of brands, and that's how I met Bon Jovi's brother. So one of the club promoters that I was working with, very, um, he almost had me exclusive. He, uh, John's brother, opened up this place down in Seabright, New Jersey, and uh, the promoter was going down there to get that gig, and he says, "I'm." I've got a new designer. Let me introduce you to, to Matt, John's brother. So I went down there and I met him. And he's like, I really like your work. We'll give you a shot and see what happens. Killed it. Knocked it out of the park. And that's when Matt said, you know, John really loves what you're doing here. Um, he is doing this private event. Um, he wants you to do the design of the CD and, and the whole nine for it. And so I was like, holy crap. So they give me all these images. I put together the CD cover, the CD insert, the whole nine. Um, John's emailing his brother back going, change that picture. I got a double chin. Like he was very, very particular. Um, So we finished that job. Now MetLife Stadium gets built and John opens. And Matt calls me a a couple months earlier and says, my brother wants you to do all of the marketing for really? his intern, like all his side hustles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to promote all of that at all the concerts. So this was the coolest thing. So we, so they put in the orders, and we're we're I literally I personally. So back in the day, I was the designer, the salesperson, the marketer, the delivery man, like everything, right? Right. right. <laughs> and um, so I remember going to Met State, MetLife Stadium in my truck with fifteen boxes of these flyers pulling up to the back and all these people unloading them for me, gets his tickets to the show. It was phenomenal. So now he goes on tour in the States and we're drop shipping all of his stuff like a day or Mm. two before he gets to the stadium. And we did that for two world tours. So awesome, awesome, awesome experience. And again, that just gave me the chops to keep moving and moving and moving. But then you you get tired, you get worn out. And I remember... I was doing some more I was doing some nightclub stuff and I had a one particular client who was very very demanding and it was a Saturday afternoon. Now I got up at 4 to start working. Now the only time I got to see my wife was when we slept. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was it was a 4 in the afternoon on a Saturday. I, I broke to just go and get some water and a snack. And I was getting these ridiculous revisions from this client and I was like I realized there was a problem when like I would get these revisions and I would like start Motley Crue in my office because mm-hmm. I was so pissed. Like I was like, these are so stupid. I don't know why I'm doing this. And then I asked myself this question. I said, Henry, are you going to be 50 years old designing club flyers? Mm-hmm. And I knew what the answer was. And that moment changed 
the entire trajectory of, of my business at that point. I became very bitter. I became, I didn't like the work anymore. I, I really hated it. And I started self-sabotaging myself. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would put in work late just to like give it to them. Right. Yeah. I mean, just for people that are not necessarily familiar with the industry, uh, design work is very subjective. It can um, if you if you don't have the same vision or, um, you know, your vision as a designer is usually a thousand times better than what the client um, envisions because you just have more experience. You 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 can um, you know see things before they're actually materially materializing, and it's sometimes very frustrating when you're working with someone that doesn't necessarily have that ability, yeah. and then they start fucking it up <laughs> right I in front know of we your eyes. Curse, but yeah, no. <laughs> oh, you just opened up Pandora's box. So yes, and and so what happens is my my design turns into a Frankenstein design. I'm not right, happy with right. it. They're ultimately really not happy with it because they micromanaged the whole job, right. and now they're saying to themselves behind closed doors, "I could have done this myself." Right, right, and it's a it's a lose lose. Mm-hmm. Right. Hold that thought. Let's take a quick break and thank our sponsors. The production of the Amplified Podcast has been brought to you by Social Fix Media. Social Fix is a transformational growth hacker agency focused on emerging technology platforms, video and podcast production, content marketing, and overall startup strategy. Social Fix has helped over 300 clients generate millions of dollars in revenue, fundraising, and profit. If you'd like help launching or growing your business, Visit socialfix.com. I eventually almost buried a business because of like my attitude and just my mindset. It just it wasn't fulfilling work anymore. Mm-hmm. So business starts to take a dump. And this is where we can get into where, you know, things start to go a little sour. So I come from a very modest background. So my my mom as much as she wanted a family and, and, and to have a, have, a, have a son, about eight to ten years into my life, she decides motherhood's a little tough. So I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So she takes a hike. And we literally – so my dad built this little log cabin in the Pocono Mountains and that was like his escape. Like growing up, I never saw my fa- – I never saw my mother or father kiss, even talk. I would have to – push them to have a conversation like just try to get along for this week and see what happens right and they would it would work for like a day and then like there would be it would go to hell in a handbasket so my father to just get away from it all would go up and and work on his little log cabin on the weekends so we come so i and i would go with him so we come home on a sunday we walk in the house and it was like very cold like you could feel like it didn't feel like home anymore right and we walk in. Now, my father would do the grocery shopping on a Thursday, you know, for the for the next week. We walk into the house. There's nothing on the walls anymore. All mm. the pictures are gone. You opened up the refrigerator, and there was nothing but the baking soda. Mm. And my mom just bounced, and she's like, "We're I'm filing for divorce, and and we're gonna. This is how this is gonna end." And it was it was awful. I mean, it was it was awful. So my father was a 
was a shop steward. He was a mechanic for UPS for 33 years. And that's what he did, right? It wasn't a big risk taker. A hustler, though. Like, always had a side hustle, like doing oil changes, mowing lawns. Mm -hmm. I was mowing lawns when I was 13. So that work ethic, he really instilled in me. So this is a blessing. I I look Mm -hmm. at this looking back and being 39, looking back, you know, this was such a blessing to me because so now we have to sell the house. We got to move. And so my father says, we're going to move to Long Branch. And now as a third, I was 13. I was a freshman in high school. I mean, Long Branch, if anybody's familiar with Long Branch, it's a beautiful place now. Like they, it is. Right? Now, it's, oh, yes. it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. When I lived there, what you knew of, of Pier Village now was all crack houses and like dilapidated houses and, and it was scary. They like, still have a little bit of that there. <laughs> yeah. So my father says, it's closer to my work. We're going to move to Long Branch. Now, I'm petrified as a 13-year-old kid because we grew up in a, in a t- tiny little house in Middletown, New Jersey, which was a decent town. It was. Um, but we, we move. And it was so scary because we get this house and we pull up for the first time. And it looked like if you blew on it, it was going to fall down. And my father was like, uh, well, I asked him, I said, why are we living here? He's like, well, it's the only place you take the dog. We had a dog. Mm. And he was like, you want to get rid of the dog? We'll go somewhere nicer. And I was like, I'm not getting rid of my dog. <laughs> I'm 13. I love That's my pal. <laughs> Oof. That, that's, not, uh, that's not an option. So, I grew, again, very modest upbringing. My father would take me to Canal Street to get my clothes for school. Um, when I went to Catholic school in Middletown, I told this story the other day, and my, my buddy Jerry, who helped me start, said, nobody would ever believe this story because they see you now, they see your cars, they see your house, they see the, you know, your watches and shit. Like, they would never believe this story. But here's what's happening. So I go to school, and I'm, my, my mom bounced. And, like, my father would come home at 5. He's tired. He would cook dinner, and he would – so he would do the laundry, like, every other day, right, or every three days. So I'm going to school – in my uniform, and there's rings of dirt around my collar, and I would get picked on for it. And so I tell my father, I want to join the Cub Scouts. And he goes, Dad, you want to join the Cub Scouts for? Like, I like their uniforms because they were brown, and it hid the dirt. So I would go to school with these Cub Scout uniforms on random days. And like it was a you're breaking I'm breaking the rules, and I'll never forget it. I went, and the vice principal he was a son of a b man. He was nasty. He was evil. He reminded me of Hitler. Honestly, he looked like him too. Mm. He, he 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 called me into his office. Didn't say anything to me. I I would come walking in with my Cub Scout. Right. He's like, "What are you wearing?" I said, "My Cub Scout." And he says, "Go get your coat. Go get my coat." He drove me to my house. And made me change. Jeez. Oh, and I remember walking out of the house like petrified because I had dirty shirts. Mm. And so I tell this story because it was a rude awakening because you – I'm going through this divorce. It's awful. Awful. Mm. Some of the things that were said and the things that were done, it was just so bad. And – my mom's side of the family like wanted to keep me involved. So they would pick me up on the weekends and in the summer and keep me for a week and things like that. And then we would go see Uncle Joe, who was 
lifestyles that are rich and famous. Mm. And the, just being in the same room with this guy or we would go to a restaurant, not even him being there, right? And we, I would see how we were treated just because of my uncle, mm-hmm. right? And then I would go back to squalor, really. And, and, and I love my father to death. Like he is the best thing that ever happened to me and we are best friends to this day. Like he did the best he could. Mm, and I right, get that now as, right. a, as, a, as a father of a two and a half year old. Like I, I get it, right? I don't know what I would do without my wife, right? If, if I had to raise Dante myself, I would figure it out and I would do the best I can. And he did the best he can. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I struggled with money. And this is the point that I want to get at. Mm-hmm. I was never very financially intelligent. My father has the same quarter he made on his first day of work. And then I had my mother who spended, who spent very frivolously. And then I have an uncle who looks like John Gotti, right? Mm-hmm. And like lives that life. And like, so I didn't know what to do. So when I came into money, I thought, well, you like that lifestyle, just spend your money on that. And so that's what I did. I had three cars before I had a garage. I would right. go on vacations every month with my girlfriend, now my wife, once a month. And this built up a lot of resentment inside my family. My family, you know, behind my back would be like, who the hell does he think he is? Right, right. Uh-huh. And so what happened was when the business started to tank, I didn't want to show that it was tanking. So right. I just kept balling, uh-huh. literally out of control. And I'll never forget it. I was at my father-in-law's house on a July Sunday. Everybody's having a blast in the backyard. And I'm in the, I'm in the corner, literally drinking my face off, trying to like hide it. And my, my wife kept going, what's the matter? What's the matter? I'm just in a bad mood today. I get home. We're watching Real Housewives of Orange County. She loves that show. And it was like weird, like woo-woo stuff starts to happen. I'm watching the show and there's this husband who takes his wife out to lunch and tells her he's bankrupt. I go, this is it. This is the mm. sign I got to do. Turn the TV off. And I said, Tori, we got to talk. And she says, what's up? And I said, I'm broke. I said, I have a couple grand in the safe, but no money's in the bank. Spent it all. And I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm gone. Like I'm Brock Bottom. Mm. So five foot, 100 pounds of her jumps off the bed, runs into my office, grabs the laptop, comes back in, and she's like, let's get to work. And I'm like, on what? Looking for divorce attorneys? Ah. Like, right, where are we going with this? That's usually what happens. Very. So very much. So she says, no, we're going we're gonna to figure this out, and we're going we're gonna to get you back on top. Like, you're a really good designer. Like, God gave you a gift, honestly. So we got to figure this out. And so we start doing competitive research. She comes from a marketing background, which is great. This is where I start to do some research and start to find some help. Mm-hmm. And this is where me and Russell Brunson meet each other for the first time. So I'm, I bump into him through a Facebook group, which then I find out about ClickFunnels. And then I learn more about his podcast. And so I'm listening to his podcast and he keeps talking about this inner circle program and these students are – went from, you know, making no money to 100,000 to 200,000 to a million and I'm like I want to be part of this inner circle program no matter what. So I go and uh go through his funnel and I get on the phone with the salesperson and they put me through the spiel and he's like it's 25 G's and I'm like I got two nickels to rub together. 
do you have anything else? Like I'll figure – we'll figure something out here because here was my mentality. I said it's not if this coaching works. It's when mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. coaching works that I'm going to get out of this mess. Mm-hmm. So he's like we have this 10K program. You know, it's, I talked to Russell. He said, you know, you come in, blah, 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 on that level. So I said, I, I could put five Gs on a credit card and five over the next five months. Would you do that? And they said, yeah. So I jump in. And the first meeting was with Russell. I have 60 minutes with him, and I have to tell him my whole spiel. Mm-hmm. It's called Decade in a Day. Hmm. So we're both 30 minutes in. We're both hysterical crying because I told him the whole story I told you just now. Plus, you know, the frustrations that I was having. And... um he says, well, I got this book coming out called Dotcom Secrets. Um, would you help me do some design promotions for it? And I said, yeah. He says, well, what do you want to – how much would it be? I was like, I don't know. Let me think about it. <laughs> so <laughs> over the weekend, I come back and I go, how's 6000 <laughs> I didn't know where it – I never I never charged that in my life. Done. <laughs> Sends me – you know, uh, send me an invoice. He pays it right there. I made 60% of my investment back in – a day. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I start working with them pretty closely and I start getting better at click funnels. So I start taking my design skill set and start putting it into click funnels and I start designing these funnels and people are starting to look like, whoa, my funnel doesn't look like that. Mm-hmm. How do you do this? Right. Well, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't even know what copywriting was. Like I just was a really good designer and I, and I, I completely botched two big projects. And they they fight because Russell at the time was like re- referring me. He was like, "Oh my God, Henry's my guy. Henry's my guy." And I would go and get these projects and completely blow them. And they would go back to Russell like, "Why do you keep endorsing this guy? He sucks." So Russell pulls me aside and he says, "You're my responsibility since you're in my coaching program. I need to coach you up because if you do this one more time, Henry, chances are you're going to have to find another niche because this is getting – you know, the, our community is small. Right. Mm-hmm. So tells me – so he coaches me up and now I'm petrified. I don't want to take another new – because I don't want to ruin it. So long story short, I go in, – in 16 months of his coaching, I go from nothing in the bank to generating over 500000 in revenue. So I'm back on top again. Took me a year and a half, but like I'm getting my chops. So that's going well. And then I realized that like I'm still missing pieces of the puzzle here. Like I'm designing beautiful funnels, but they're not getting the results that the clients mm-hmm. are looking for. And it all came back on me. Like you built me this funnel. It should work, right? It should work, quotes. And I was like, no, I fulfilled my obligation. I designed it. It looks way better than you had. Yeah, but it still doesn't work. It doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. So I needed strategy. And this is where we get into how I leveled up the business. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, you know, you mentioned that you worked with Russell Brunson. Uh, I think Fabio Viviani is one of yep. them, Bon Jovi and yep. so forth. How do you get in front of that type of client, like today? Great question. So. I could just give you personal experiences. So um, Russell Brunson, for example, I was a big fan of his podcast. I hated his podcast cover design. So I took it upon myself on a Sunday morning to redesign it and just send it to him. And I said, Russell, I don't care if you ever use this or not, but your podcast cover design does not represent the value that you deliver on the show. I believe that my design does. So if you don't use it, it's no harm, no foul. But I wanted to 
thank you for all of your advice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here's the cover. Oh, man, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Doesn't do anything with it. Two months goes by. He sends me a, a Facebook message. And he says, Henry, you still got that podcast cover design buried somewhere? I says, yeah. He says, can you resend it? We're redoing you know, some stuff over here, and I want to use it. Sent it over to him. Mm-hmm. The next day was Thanksgiving. Talk about, again, some woo-woo stuff. Thanksgiving morning, he sends me another Facebook message, and he says, Henry, we're in the process of like getting everything consistent with ClickFunnels. We need somebody like you to keep it that way. Would you be willing to take on that work? But at that point, I was doing the work myself. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So for the next two and a half years, I did all of the branding design for ClickFunnels. And then eventually uh, I came out of the inner circle. I finally got into that 25K program. (laughs) When I left that program two and a half years later, uh, he was starting to build some really strong infrastructure inside of ClickFunnels. So he got an in-house guy and – I, 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 I gave all the files so he knew, mm-hmm. like, this is the look that we need to keep consistent. So it was probably half the price. So he got that in-house guy. But we always stayed, we always stayed friends. You know, he, he endorses me to this day. And, and um, so that's how I got Russell. So basically it, it came out of actually doing pro bono work as um, kind of a giving value before you actually even ask for something and just letting it hang out there. Yes. And, and you know, Gary V instilled this into me a couple years back where he talked about the 5149 mm-hmm, rule where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you give 51% of everything, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's your relationship with your wife or your kid or your friends or your family or clients, give 51% and you'll see a big ret- – you'll see that come back. And that that stuck with me. That really did stick with me. So I started to do that. And then Fabio, he literally came out of nowhere on Instagram. He was in – again, this is the power of content and putting out content. And um, just was very consistent on Instagram. And he reached out and he was like, what do you do? Like mm-hmm. very interested. So we started having a conversation. He had this online course that he wanted to get out and – Help them put that together from a design standpoint and build it out in ClickFunnels and things like that. And that's how that happened. Um, but getting back to providing more value, what I realized was I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to always be a designer. And that started to become a commodity when Fiverr came out and all of that. If I don't level up the value that I deliver to the audience, if I don't start solving bigger problems, they're not going to start cutting me bigger paychecks. So I didn't know anything about brand strategy at the time. So I was getting coached by this guy that I met in Russell's group. And he was sort of my mindset guy. He kind of really helped me get it, get those skeletons out of the closet and things. But when I was complaining to him one day that like I didn't know strategy, he's like, I got a guy who does strategy. So we partner up and he's a he's a decent strategist. So I was flying back and forth to Atlanta with this uh, to meet this guy and we were working on client projects together and – he didn't know this, but he's teaching me strategy. And I eventually got to the point where I was like, I can now do this on my own. Right. Mm-hmm. And I realized that this is another learning experience for me. So me and that guy, were we were way too similar. Mm-hmm. We were two alphas. We had our strengths very similar. Our weaknesses were very similar mm-hmm. too. So we would get these bigger projects but never finish them. 
they would get lost. Clients are getting pissed. I'm at live events and we got clients barking at me and I'm upset because like that's not my intention. Right. It sounds like I run a really awesome, a it, really horrible business. You know what, though? This is the life of an agency. <laughs> right. It does <laughs> get better. <laughs> I, can, I can promise you it gets so much better. So I learn strategy. I start to develop it on my own. Clients are starting to get better results. Now I realize I need a system because I'm very fragmented right now. I don't like people are emailing me work. You can't. You have to have a systemized right. process. Mm-hmm. So I hire a guy. Again, sitting at an event. Guy sits next to me, and I go. So what do you do? And he goes, I run. I build processes <laughs> inside people's agencies. <laughs> Stop. Come home. Set them up. And that was the best seventeen grand I ever spent. Honestly, it was like putting my nails against a, a chalkboard, going through that process. But man, did it it paid me back in spades. So now I got a process. Now I got more value that I'm delivering. Now I need a team because I can't, I still can't do it all on my own. Right. So I build. I start to build out my team virtually. I always wanted sort of a similar setup that you have here, just on a bigger scale. And I realized like, ooh, that that costs a lot of money. Like you mm-hmm. know. And so I was like. I got my master's in business management. I know how to manage people. I know how to build a team. Let me try it virtually and see what happens. And so I did. And we I became very successful at it. So I hired my first project manager, hired my first designer, my second designer, and my copywriter, and my developer. And then I just started filling in all the spots that needed to be filled. So now I have a 10-man team. Uh, and it's it's like a family. We meet mm-hmm. every Monday. I run it just like I would run a, a, a brick and mortar. And um, very rarely do I have to fire somebody. Like I, I still have my team from five years ago. People are like, you've done pretty well with that. Like could you teach that? Mm-hmm. And so now I belong to a couple of um, private groups that are full of creatives that want to get to the seven-figure mark like I did. And they want to learn how I did it. And so now I'm co- that's part of my coaching program where I'm coaching those guys. But then I have a lot of entrepreneurs that are solopreneurs or people of influence that see how I did it. And they're like, I want that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want my time back. I want to be able to run a team. And I don't want to do everything. I feel like a prisoner inside of my business. And mm-hmm. I don't want that anymore. I'm getting mm-hmm. older. And so th- that's another part of my business is, is helping those entrepreneurs establish their internal systems and then it's funny then we get to the branding which i know you're dying Mm -hmm. to talk about so yeah let's talk about the branding so i uh get this question probably about three times a day um because our just my methodology in general is that all assets or anything that's your online presence needs to flow from your branding and a lot of people confuse branding with graphics Mm -hmm. um they don't necessarily necessarily understand the um the research that goes into it the positioning the value uh added benefits the yeah you know unique kind of messaging your personas all that stuff that goes into it tell me how does that work in in from your perspective yeah so let's back up a second and just define what branding is so people have a better understanding of what that is a lot of definitions flowing around mm-hmm. the one that i really gravitate to the most came from marty newheimer who is a very 
iconic figure in the branding space, wrote a bunch of books like The Brand Gap and The Brand Flip. And the definition that he gives is the gut feeling people get when they interact with either you or your business. Mm-hmm. And I resonate with that a lot. Now, how so. do you define that, though? Like, how do you know what is the gut feeling people have about you? So going back to <laughs> so going back to Bezos, it's it's what are they saying about you when you're not in the room, and mm-hmm. finding what that is, and and really don't take it personal if it's negative. Learn from it. I'll give you a funny trolling story one day. So I'm out there trying to build up my personal brand in the beginning. And, you know, uh, I spent very frivolously, like I mentioned before. So I buy this Jet Smarter membership thinking I can position myself as a hotshot getting off on these helicopters and and private planes. And I had my videographer come and video me doing all of that. And, like, I'm running Facebook ads with that kind of stuff, right? Not knowing that I'm just attracting the wrong people. And finally, I get this troll who was a blessing in disguise, really. He was like, you show up in my feed. You're getting hopping in and out of private jets. I Google you and I really don't find anything. Like, so who are you? Mm -hmm. And I was like, nobody gives a shit about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And they actually, this this is what people want to attack you on. Right. So what I realized was, okay, I got to step back a second and start mastering my craft. Let my let my work speak for itself, not the not the flesh. Mm-hmm. And so I I went back and I realized showing and proving, which goes back to my old high school days. I was one of fifty white kids in my whole high school, so it was a lot of fun, a lot of culture that I grew up in. And when we played basketball, if somebody talked shit, we would say show and prove. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear you talk. Show and prove. Right. right. And that thirty nine years old. I was 13 when I first heard that concept and it stuck and it sticks to this day. So now when I put out content, it's showing and proving. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to take you behind the scenes. I want to show you how I work with clients. I want to show you design projects and brand projects I'm working on. I want to show you where I'm struggling and how I'm getting over that. And mm-hmm. that is 100% of my content these days. And now I've really built the reputation of somebody that really knows what they're talking about. And Hence where I got the brand doctor name from is when I was explaining my process to somebody that was in one of my uh, coaching programs, he's like, explain to me like how you work. And I said, well, first I diagnose the issue and see what's going on. And then I prescribe a strategy. And then we apply that as str- that strategy as needed. And he's like, so let's like, let's like, like a that's how a doctor works, right? A good doctor. And I said, Yeah. And he's like, So you're like you're like the brand doctor. <laughs> I love that. And, that was, and then it was it. And then I had to Google search, you know, um, let me just double check and see if that name's used. So there's this guy in the UK who's like a hundred years old. I don't even think he does it anymore, but he got the brand doctor. He he called himself the brand doctor. And so I was like, I don't want to step on any toes here. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to run with this and see what happens. And so I did. And luckily, you know, I've never got any pushback. I probably will now because <laughs> I'm putting it out there. But um, I don't know if he's even in business anymore. Just trademark it. Yeah. I, I, I've tried that. And it looks like somebody is blocking me. 
Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't, we don't need to get into this today, but like, it looks like somebody got ahead of me and tried to do it before me. Oh, so there's something pending right now. So it's a little tough to try to do mm. that. So anyway, we'll figure it out. But that's where I got the brand doctor name from. We're going to take a break here with Henry and wrap up this episode. And you guys can find the rest in part two with Henry Kaminsky. Thanks for listening to the Amplified Podcast. Follow us on our social channels and subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the next episode, stay tuned for more trailblazing insights, energy, and culture to help fuel your pursuit in the modern digital era.